You know, the, the, uh, the church in Corinth was the charismatics of the charismatics. They were the Pentecostals of the Pentecostals. They were kingdom now people in their theology and in their practice. They definitely had some rough edges, but they were totally into the Holy Spirit and into the apostolic teaching of the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. And when the Apostle Paul starts talking to them about Easter, about the resurrection day, and about the reality of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, it's this odd thing that he does for a church that's used to living in the present of the presence of their eternal future. Theologians talk about the already and the not yet of the kingdom. These people, unlike much of the church in America, which is focusing on the not yet dimension, the Corinthian church was totally into kingdom now theology. It was definitely the already dimension of the kingdom for them. They were living totally in the presence of their eternal future. But yet, why does the Apostle Paul, when he actually starts talking about the resurrection of Jesus, all of a sudden take them into their not yet reality of what happens when they die, what happens when Jesus comes back, what happens when they will be raised from the dead? Does he just want them to have a fundamentalist doctrinal soundness? I don't think so. I think what he's doing when he does this in 1 Corinthians 15, he takes them into the not yet dimension because he wants to better equip them and bring them into a higher level of power in the already, in the kingdom now realities of of healing and the prophetic and the gifts of the spirit. Here's a church that Paul says, you fall behind in no gift. You've got some ethical things that you need to figure out, but you fall behind in no gift. Yet and yet... He addresses them um, with, with, with reference to the, for the resurrection power of Jesus. He morphs from talking about Jesus rising from the dead into their future rising from the dead, the not yet dimension. And I, I, I believe with all my heart that the theology and the, and the meditation on our future life, having an understanding of what will happen when, we, when Jesus comes back or when we die and, and some things, um, some, some special treasures, some special realities about our future resurrection, this apostolic teaching that the early church was absolutely committed to, they devoted themselves to the, to the, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to, to prayer. The New Testament theology, the, the apostles' teaching, that this dimension of it better equips them to live Monday morning in the kingdom, which is at hand, which is today, which is present, which is the call of God for us to do. Never, never let any of the apostolic teaching of the New Testament that focuses on the not yet just in any way minimize the already dimension because it's only designed to accelerate the present to amplify and to build our faith up for more of the kingdom in the present. Having said that, we're going to um, be reminded that in, as we look at 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of Jesus slash us, that we talked last time 
that about the mighty power this Jesus resurrection has for the gospel heralding church. Because of the resurrection power of Jesus in our present, when we share in simple courage the gospel, when our evangelists share the simple gospel of Jesus with people on the street or when we do that with friends or when we do that in any of our services or small groups, there is an authority of heaven that floods through it that changes lives. It is a miraculous, supernatural power that hits people. The gospel heralding church, the strong standing church, this is, uh, this is, the, church, this is the church that realizes we're not passive. We're not passive. We draw near to God, and when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. We see the spring sunshine, and we warm ourselves with it. We, we step into the spring sunshine, S-O-N, shine of Jesus. And we do it through authentic repentance. And we draw near to Jesus with authentic repentance, and we get more sunshine as a result, more springtime, more, more green fla- grass and beautiful flowers spiritually speaking. We, we, warm, um, we warm ourselves with the sunshine by worship and praise together and as individuals and in families. And when we have opportunities to serve other people in the anointing and power of the Spirit, we don't back away from that. We press into that, no matter how uncomfortable it might seem in the moment. This is the kind of thing that brings more of the sunshine to our lives this is a strong standing church. And then a grace and weakness church. And that, by that, we were, just, we were reminded that, that whatever point, the Apostle Paul said, said, I am what I am. I'm an apostle. I was born out of season, but that's who I am. And that we were reminded that there is a supernatural resurrection strength for the different hats we wear, the different elements that make up our identity. Who are we? Uh, what are the What are the elements of your personal identity? Are you a, Are you a, a mother, a dad, a grandfather? Are you a Are you Where do you uh, Where you work? Uh, or a, uh, Or a leader of some a Christian businessman? You're. I know that in my own um, journey to think of myself as a teacher and as a spiritual father and as a and as an evangelist, I, I've often thought, God, I don't want all three of those. I can't, I can't even do two of them uh, very well because I don't have time. And which two do I work with? What two do I do? And, and God just kind of smiles and said, I gave you three because in resurrection fire, you can do that. And I can fully celebrate all elements of my, my identity, and so can you. I've, I've often thought about Brenda's, my dear wife Brenda's uh, moped that... that um, when she, she can be riding that motorcycle. There's a feature on it that you can just turn like a motorcycle and take off, but she prefers to ride it with the pedals. And, and when you pedal it, you start to pedal, and it's a little, little bit of work to pedal, then all of a sudden it just takes off smoothly because of the electrical, the electrical dimension of it. Just, just immediately speeds up, hopefully not too fast <laughs> for her driving it. <laughs> but... Um, but there are points and times in our life when we, feel, when we feel weakness. And at that point, those points particularly, we say, Jesus, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right now. And we press the pedal and we go. There's, there's power. There's an ease to it in the moment. 
So today, with the time we have, I'm going to get as far as I can with this. Uh, what mighty power this Jesus resurrection in its encouragement for our future. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I'll carry on. Because I know who holds the future. He holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. And this, this uh, includes not just the rest of my life, but when Jesus comes back or when I die, that dimension of life that continues beyond. It's that dimension, that future dimension that the Apostle Paul starts addressing in 1 Corinthians 15 in order to strengthen their kingdom now experience. Let's read it. 15 verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. We all we all die in Adam, but only those that are in Christ become alive at his coming. All those are his. Notice the continuity. The same Jesus we know now is the same Jesus that we'll experience when we die, after we die. It's like shifting from one room to another room. Same Jesus, same you. Different way of expressing it. I like, uh, I like the fact that Jesus is going, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that he's going to take us into that eternal future, personally, each one of us. And we can just have his hand. And it's the same Jesus we know now that we'll know then. I think we'll be shocked at, wait a minute, you're more like the Jesus I knew back then than I thought you would be. <laughs> Hallelujah. First time I went fishing with a friend on the Columbia River Bar, it's the, one of the most turbulent river bars in the, um, in the world. And where the river crashes into the ocean. It's really turbulent. And I, I was anxious about it. You know what helped me? Keeping my eyes on Jim Przinski, the pilot, <laughs> the guy that was the skipper of the boat. He was calm through the whole thing. You know? Do you feel any anxiety about the future here or, or facing death? Keep your eyes on the pilot. Keep your eyes on the skipper. He's going to carry you through. It's not, <laughs> it's not, don't feel guilty if you feel any, if you feel anxious about facing death. This, don't, now don't just say, okay, he's preaching a sermon, a funeral sermon here. <laughs> don't, don't go there with it. This, he didn't put, God didn't put this in the Bible for funerals. Paul didn't write this like just for funerals, for if there was ever any funerals at Corinth. This was to stir them up, break them down, if you will. You know, have you ever, like, ever heard people talk about, and not that I've ever experienced this, but people talk about breaking down muscles and that they can be built up again? This is, this is that kind of thing. It's breaking down a certain theological realities, and then you're going to be built up for the kingdom now even, even stronger. I think that I rem I'm reminded that Michael Green, a British uh, theologian, said, 
everybody shrinks back from thoughts of death. Even Christians do. I think of Jerry Cook that said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go today. (laughs) And my dad, who passed away um, just a year ago this week, we had the most candid talks about death before he before he, left, uh, before he left us. And one of the things he said was, I'm not looking forward to it, but I have total peace about it. And he meant that from all of his heart. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about some huge, in the, even in the face of, of our anxiety about the future, huge positivity he goes into teaching about it. And I, I don't know of anyone more than, um, than Chuck Smith, the... Uh, the Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa pastor that was instrumental in the Jesus movement um, being started. He was one of the catalysts for leaders for the Jesus movement. He told his church and others, he said, someday some person um, or you're going to read that I died. I want you to know I I didn't die. I just moved. (laughs) Yeah. Different dimension, same Jesus, same you, just expressed differently, just not in this, but these bodies expressed differently. Paul refers to it, first of all, you notice that it was like physical sleep. Do you enjoy sleep? Yeah, I don't like it when I wake up in the middle of the night. I like to sleep. I really enjoy sleeping. But it's a positive experience, and it's a positive experience um, with reference to dying. It's a Christian word for dying. The Apostle Paul is being used is using it here. I think it's because of the pleasantness of sleep, but it's different than all metaphors break down. It's uh, it's it's sleep, but it's not your active mind in this kind of sleep isn't dreaming. It's actually full consciousness. Conscious, you are conscious, fully conscious, and mindfully alive in a straight in a state of emotional and spiritual peace, and bliss. Example, our own Cheryl Huckel. Are you here today, Cheryl? There she is. Her testimony about um, dying uh, in the hospital. And they quickly got the paddles, and she, she was gone. Her heart had stopped. And they did the paddles clear once, nothing. Okay, turn it up. Turn up the electricity. Clear, nothing. Turn up the electricity. The last one before they quit and time of death. One more time. Clear. Shock. She was, she was dead. But what happened from her angle was when she died, she went into this sort of a room-like place and there were like three angels there that started talking about going into another room where Jesus was with her. And she said the environment was filled with this blissful peace. But there was communication. She could communicate. They could communicate. And uh, then all of a sudden, boom, the third clear happened and she got pulled back in <laughs> to her, her body. And thankfully for us, it's better by far that uh, she, she's, I'm sure she would agree with Paul that going to be with, with Jesus would be better by far. But for your sake, I'm going to stay for a while. We're glad you stayed. You decided to stay, Cheryl, or God decided to stay for you. It is a blissful state. Paul said, it is better by far that I go um, and be with Christ. That's what he said. And Jesus said, remember he said to the thief, today you'll be with me where? In 
Paradise. Now, paradise, what does that conjure up for you? That sounds like a pretty good place to me. So that's, that state, it's a disembodied state for a while, but it's fully conscious, and it's way a, a bazillion times better than this, than this life. It's something to look forward to. But then it, there's uh, even a better situation that comes after that. The Apostle Paul talks about the physical resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits. That means he's the prototype. You get what he, what he got. On the first Easter Sunday morning, resurrection day, what happened to Jesus happens to you. Hallelujah. It's coming. It's amazingly cool. It's hard to imagine. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle talks about our bodies being like a seed that's planted. And I'm, I'm reminded that Tertullian in the, in the second century wrote about it. He said, he said, who would think that sperm coupled with a human egg could produce a beautiful baby? Who would have thought that? And he says, in the same way, the seed of our bodies in the environment of the resurrection of Jesus produces resurrection bodies for us. Because he lives, we also will live with him. When we're talking about the Easter experience, the resurrection of Jesus, it's not absent from you and from me. We are in him and he is, we are um, with him. And because he rose from the dead, and lives in resurrection power, we are, we get that too. Hallelujah. Second talking point here. Oh, okay, I want to maybe just read that. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound and we shall be changed. The mortal clothed with immortality. Death is swallowed up by victory. Hallelujah, victory. Praise Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And it's those thoughts of what's in the future that can be a great breaking down of our fear and a pulling apart of uh, the stuff that might jam us up with being afraid in any way of the future and give us a freedom with the kingdom now realities that we're called to enjoy and to minister in. Second and last talking point. This is it. What mighty power this Jesus resurrection in helping us to prepare for our flight to glory. You know, we're going to have quite a flight to glory. The dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and so we will be with the Lord forever at that last trumpet. That last trumpet blow, that sound of the trumpet. And... uh, those of us that remain will go flying up. Hope you're not afraid of heights. <laughs> but those of us that are in that gloriously wonderful disembodied state, fully conscious, fully praising God, fully aware, fully being able to communicate. If there's any doubt about that, remember in the book of Revelation, the souls that were martyred, uh, that were under the altar, waiting for the resurrection to happen, they could communicate, they could fully talk to Jesus and pray. There was an experience of Jesus for them. So don't let anyone tell you that this physical sleep that we call death is also a soul sleep because that's not a Bible, um, a Bible uh, conclusion in my opinion as I look at the Bible. So 
Prepare for our flight to glory. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We, we declare it at, our, at the baptisms where people die and then come forth and identifying with Jesus. But I wanted to remind you that Christ will shine on you is a present, it's a, it's a future continuous tense in the Greek. Christ will shine. Christ is shining on us in resurrection power right now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we are in Christ at the same time. Jesus is in us and we are in him and we live in this resurrection life of Jesus continually. And that resurrection life um, gives us an ability to, to, um, to prepare for our flight. Brenda's going to going to go see her mother in Phoenix, Arizona tomorrow, and there's a few things she did. She purchased a ticket, and she um, has my sister going with her. She couldn't get her husband to go with her this time, and, uh, and she has her carry-on. I'm just using that as a, just a real quick sort of a, as a metaphor for us getting ready for our flight to go with Jesus. We'd have a ticket, you know... Uh, what is a ticket? It's the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives, gives to us when we call on him to save us. Uh, we're righteousified. It's a robe of righteousness. And I remember when I was 19 working one summer at Al- Alcoa Aluminum Plant, Vancouver, Washington, and we were having revival meetings at our church. And I had to, I had to uh, switch shifts every week graveyard shift and swing shift and then days. It's like you always are just so tired. But I remember when I was working at, in that wire mill through the, through the night watches of a graveyard shift, that, that song just that we were singing in our church revival meetings, I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over with the precious, precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. Oh, what joy it is to know my heavenly father loves me so and he gives to me my Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. And I sang that, I sang that through the night uh, shifts for a whole week, eight hours of working with, in that wire mill. I just sang that over and over again because it was just such an experience of, of uh, Jesus for me and his resurrection presence. It was a beautiful moment indeed. But we need that, you know, we need that ticket, don't we? Because remember the, the, the banquet that we have uh, when we get to heaven and everybody's there, the, this huge, huge banquet and, um, and everybody has white robes, but there's those, those white robes are the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to us. Not stuff that we've earned, not fig leaves that we try to cover ourselves with, but his robe. And remember what happens if you don't have a robe. Take them and cast them out into outer darkness. They don't belong here. It's, uh, that's, well, is God really like that? We remember that God is, God is real. And God does. He has a fully loving personality. But he also has a fully just personality. He cares about justice. He cares about right and wrong. He cares about the Bible talks about the judgment of God and the Bible talks about the love of God, infinite expression, both of them. They're not contradictory. If you don't like that world, if you don't like that universe, go find yourself another universe because that's how it is in this universe. 
That's the truth. And I want my faith in truth because faith plus truth equals reality. Faith plus not truth equals fantasy. And I want my theology to be, be based on reality, don't you? You want my theology to be based on reality too? Friends, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. It's a heavy statement. Proverbs, they that walk with the wise grow wise, but a companion of fools comes to ruin. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, again, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. So we want to awake to righteousness, both in terms of the robe of righteousness, but we want to have a life that is lived in a way that is, corresponds to and is commensurate to this wonderful gift that's been given to us. Awake to righteousness, do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. Some of you people at Corinth, you know, you don't really know God because you have this, you're not building your theology on truth. You're building it on fantasy. Brenda and I, um, some time ago, were walking through Providence Hospital, and they have their values uh, on signs in the, door, in the hallway, compassion, dignity, justice. As you walk through the hall, you see these different signs, compassion, dignity, justice, excellence, and integrity. And I couldn't, I, I got a kick out of Brenda. She says, where's righteousness? <laughs> you know, she's hungers and thirsts for righteousness. She has this uh, robe of righteousness that she wears. That's her ticket in. But, you know, one of the secrets to experiencing righteousness, we all want to experience deeper levels of righteousness. I tell you the secret, it's the person sitting next to you. It's the person, other people in this fellowship. It's people that are on fire for Jesus outside of this fellowship. I want to tell you this, that, that um, bad company corrupts the best of character, so, so I'm not saying don't be friends with pre-believers. Do so, but always keep them a little bit distant because you don't want to start embracing their values. It is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous to be too intimately and personally involved with, with um, pre-believers' uh, bad, non-truth stuff that they live out of. We want to stay on fire, and it does make a big difference, doesn't it, to, um, to stay on fire with with our, with our buddies, with our friends. So, friends really make a difference. Brenda's taking her friend, my sister Karen, to, with her to Phoenix. And then finally, a, a packed carry-on with at least six useful items for your trip. I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to mention, uh, comment briefly on a couple of them as we conclude this. What are the three items... Three, I'm going to share three with you from Jesus. I think they're the three that Jesus emphasized and three from Paul that he expresses in 1 Corinthians 15 to stay with our text. Now in saying this, I want to, to qualify this by saying when I'm talking about righteous deeds, please don't, don't, don't think I'm saying it's faith alone through grace alone plus all these righteous deeds you have to do. I'm saying that the Bible says authentic faith does result in certain righteous deeds. And I just want to list them for you. I'm just going to list them for you. Matthew 25, 
caring for people that are hungry, thirsty, strangers, caring for people that don't have clothes, that are sick in prison. It seems to be a big deal to Jesus with reference to well done, good and faithful servant. He refers to behaviors on the last day because they're authentically faith-inspired behaviors. Authentic faith does result in certain behaviors. One of them. Confessing Christ before people results in him confessing us before the angels. Giving treasure to the work of the kingdom is important to Jesus. It's like investing in the future. Now, Paul, for three things. Number four, thankfulness for every single Jesus victory. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a life of present tense kingdom celebration. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. We focus continually on every single victory that God gives us. We fully celebrate it. We celebrate each other's victories. We give ourselves fully to to blessing and being excited about the miraculous victories that God gives us in our journey with him in this life. Thanks be to God should mark our life. That's an ethic that prepares you. It goes in your carry-on on the flight to glory. Five, persevering stubbornness in the things of God. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable. Six, serving well in your area of calling. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well done, good and faithful what? Servant, it does matter. I want to have a carry-on. The ticket gets me to heaven, but I don't want my works to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. I want to build my life with gold and silver, don't you? And these are some of the things that Paul lists and that Jesus lists that are part and parcel of what it means to have your carry-on ready to go. A shoemaker came to Martin Luther and said, should I quit when he got saved? Should I quit my business and uh, become a monk or a priest? Martin Luther said, no, you just be a better shoemaker for the glory of God. This is a quote about a shoemaker who's on a shoemaker kick, I guess. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Our vocation is let's Latin word for calling. Whatever your vocation is, is a calling before God to do for his glory. And, and do ministry as you can, but these are the kinds of things that help you carry on, be ready to go. I conclude with this, this story. You have to be careful when a pastor says in conclusion because two of, of Paul's letters, halfway through the letters, he says, he says, finally, or in conclusion, that he goes on for another half a letter. <laughs> Let's stand up so you know I mean business. Missionary was on a, a missionary was on a, a lifelong commitment and he was coming home to the United States in the early 1900s on a ship. Some of you heard this, I, I know before, but it's a good reminder, a conclusion for this. Uh, 
Teddy Roosevelt was on the, sh- on the ship. And coming into the harbor in New York, there was clearly parades happening, people cheering for Teddy Roosevelt. And this, this, uh, this missionary who had just given his whole life serving Jesus, he looked up to heaven and he said, wow, no one here to welcome me home. And he felt like Jesus said so clearly to his heart, you're not home yet. Got your ticket? Got your friends? Got your carry-on? Let's fly, baby. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. We want to fly with you, Lord. We want to fly with you. There's a pastoral care team coming to the altar. If you are, are coming to Christ or getting things sorted out with Christ for the first time, come on up and get, uh, get prayer. Need healing, body, soul, or spirit. Need a miracle in any way. Come on up. I want to welcome little Ezra Green to our fellowship today. Tiffany's got Ezra today. Sweet, sweet little girl. There she is. First time in church. Bring her up. We'll get her saved, okay? Oh, she's, she's already saved. That age for sure. Well, God bless you as you go and come on up and get some ministry. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Jesus is with you today. Enjoy, enjoy Easter week coming up.